Welcome to our live coverage from Los Angeles, California of Super Bowl 56 Media Week, a production of WSBU 88.3 The Buzz. And welcome back to Radio Row, live from Los Angeles, California, in the LA Convention Center. It's WSBU 88.3 The Buzz, and we are rolling on with our coverage a little bit earlier today. We're starting at 3 o'clock because of the Bonnie's basketball game at 7, but still three great hours of content for you. And starting up right now, the Director's Cut with Tyler Smith and Nathan Solomon. They're going to talk some football. They're going to talk some basketball. WFUV from Fordham has joined their show to uh, preview tonight's game. At, at 4 o'clock, the Nightly Buzz with Nick Roloff and Tom Seip. Two great interviews. MJ Acosta Ruiz from um, NFL Total Access joined their show. And Joe Montaigne and Ronnie Marvo co-producing I Am Not a Comedian, I'm Lenny Bruce. Also joined in for a fantastic interview. And finally, the afternoon album serving as the nightcap, the wild card. Of course, with myself, Carter Raymond, and everyone else here at the show. Rotating guests. Probably have some guests on for that show. And we're going to have a fantastic Time to stick with us. It's WSBU 88.3 The Buzz, and we're from L.A. You're listening to The Director's Cut with Tyler Smith and Nathan Solomon, live from the LA Convention Center in Los Angeles, California. WSBU. This is the Director's Cut live from Super Bowl Radio Row at the Los Angeles Convention Center in California. Tyler Smith joined by Nathan Salomon here, your sports directors, bringing you Tuesday's action at Radio Row. Nate had a great show yesterday, had a great opening day. You know, Radio Row not too filled up uh, on the first day of things uh, as the week continues. The media center will gradually uh, increase in population. We just saw Pat McAfee and his crew set up at the FanDuel booth. They're about to go live uh, from 9, or excuse me, yeah, 9 here to, to uh, noon, and that would be like 12 to 3 Eastern. So that's really exciting. We saw guys like Michael Irvin yesterday. He had a great interview with Zion Clark, Guinness World Record holder, uh, motivational speaker, and you know, multi-sport athlete. So, Nate, uh, you know, first impressions on uh, day one of Radio Row. Yeah, it was a good day yesterday, obviously. You know, like you said, it was a little bit uh, a little bit quieter. Um, not, not a ton of people were, were, were around yesterday, but we're expecting a lot more people to be around today. We've got some interviews lined up. Mm-hmm. So uh, it should be a, a more active day here, and we'll be getting a lot of guests on. Yes, absolutely. And we have some interviews lined up uh, for our show in the second half. We'll be talking to the Fordham 
Rams play-by-play -play commentator and color commentator for WFB. WFUV, excuse me, sports. Uh, it's going to be a fun fun talk about tonight's Bonnie's-Rams matchup. And uh, stay tuned later on for the nightly buzz with Nick Roloff and Tom Seip. They'll be having NFL Network's MJ Acosta-Ruiz on uh, via Zoom. And the um, actors Joe Montagna from General Hospital and Criminal Minds. So it's going to be a jam-packed day uh, ahead. Hopefully we can pick up some interviews on the fly and uh, get this ball rolling here at Radio Row Day 2. So, jumping right into things, we are going to go over a different aspect of the game today. We went over the wide receiver groups and potentially a little defensive back matchups yesterday. And today, we're going to be judging the signal callers, the guys under center. Big quarterback matchup in this in this year's big game, Matt Stafford and Joe Burrow, each in their first Super Bowl appearances, uh, each winning their first playoff games of their career this season. Um, Nate, on the outside looking in, just from a naked eye, what do you see from this quarterback matchup? I mean, two big arms, two guys have been making big plays uh, over the last few weeks. So what, what do you see from these two pass, uh, passers? Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, you know, Matthew Stafford, you look at him, he's, in my opinion, he, he's an elite-tier quarterback, and, and he's a guy that hasn't really gotten that recognition over his career just because he was on a team that that struggled for basically his whole time there. I mean, you know, they made three different playoff appearances. They all lost uh, first round, and then everybody's like, oh, you know, Matthew Stafford, you know, he can't win in the playoffs, but, you know, the, they don't look to see who's on that team because it, that wasn't a, a Super Bowl caliber winning team. So, you know, he gets traded. He's on the Rams now, and, and, and he's on that uh, that Super Bowl caliber team. And, of course, here they are, you know, playing in the Super Bowl on Sunday uh, with, with an all-star cast around him, and, and he kind of put those... Um, uh, those talks to rest by saying, you know, winning three games, having a having a great game in there in the NFC Championship to um, to, to bring this team to the Super Bowl. Of, of course, that last drive against Tampa Bay to, to knock out Tom Brady and I guess at this point end his career. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so uh, I'm glad that Matthew Stafford's here. He, you know, he deserves to uh, be in the Super Bowl. He's he's one of the best quarterbacks out there, and he hasn't got a lot lot of recognition for it. And then Joe Burrow. I mean. Um, kind of a unique situation there, a second-year quarterback uh, in, in the Super Bowl. Obviously, the the the, um, the Bengals came in with with super low expectations, far surpassed that, and you know they're here in the Super Bowl. They won they won you know three games to get here. Um, you know, even though they started off five and two, and and, and they lost to the Jets there kind of earlier in the season, everybody thought, oh, you know, the Bengals would, would sort of fade. But I mean, Joe Burrow put that team you know basically on his back with with him and Jamar Chase and. And Burrow just made so many big plays here and in, in the postseason, and you know find, just finds a way to win. Like you know, in, in the divisional round game, you know, he got sacked nine times, but he still found a way to win, even though he didn't necessarily have the prettiest stat line. But um, you know, as a second-year quarterback, you're going to struggle at times, and that's pretty scary though for the rest of the league to see you know what what, what he's what he's been able to accomplish this season, uh, just as a second-year quarterback, and especially with all the holes that the Bengals have too. So definitely going to be an intriguing matchup. Uh, in a sense, they're, they're kind of similar players, but but they also kind of Burrow and uh, Stafford that is, but uh, they kind of differ as well. That's funny how you call uh, you know you see the similarities between the two because coming into the NFL, I mean there were there were concerns over, over uh, Joe Burrow's arm talent ability and his ability to throw the ball downfield. Um, Stafford, that's never really been a question. The guy's had one of the strongest arms in the league since he's gotten there uh, from Georgia. So you know. As Joe Burrow has ascended here in the 2021-2022, I guess call it, call it season, um, he's really developed that deep ball. And, you know, obviously kudos to the wide receivers that he's got out there. Jamar Chase, uh, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, the, either the 
either of those three guys can uh, take the top off the defense, and it's it, it becomes a lot easier for Joe Burrow to throw the deep ball when his when his receivers are making you know plays out there on, on the defensive backs. So Joe Burrow has drastically improved his deep ball ability, which has been a, a real huge development in him. You know, kind of ascending into that top top ten, top five potentially quarterback uh, group. So it, it's really been Burrow as the more surprising. I mean, I think. When we when we saw Stafford was traded to the Rams, you know their, their roster was already so talented, and then you know they keep mortgaging the future to you know win now, and that that's even become more apparent. His job has become a lot easier uh, as the season has come along. Uh, you know you lose Robert Woods, but you add OBJ right in the mix, and it's basically a one for one deal. It's like it's like Robert Woods never left. Um, Stafford obviously has the ability to throw the deep ball as well. What I will say is he does tend to. Lately, at least, uh, especially against the 49ers, you know, you, you saw J the Jaquiski Tart uh, dropped interception. That was essentially underthrown by Stafford. And uh, he, in the fourth quarter, if he wants to make a big play like that, he's going to be throwing it high and deep. And these Bengals' safeties are not the ones you want to be testing. I promise you, they are far, you know, more talented group, uh, you know, in their back line than than San Fran's. So. Matt Stafford, if he's going to take some deep shots, he better know that you know Cooper Cup has got that 10 feet of separation, like he's got you know on the majority of their pass plays. And Joe Burrow, obviously on the other end, it's going to be a, a, a tight window for him as well with, with the, the defensive backs we talked about yesterday. Obviously, Jalen Ramsey, Darius Williams. I mean, even Eric Weddle coming out of retirement to to, to play some really good defense uh, up top. You know. There's a lot of good defensive backs here, which is going to make it tough uh, on, on each quarterback to really get in a groove here. If we look at the past few weeks, Burrow has been obviously you know, amping up his, his uh, pass attempts per game in 39, 34, 37, 38 over the past four weeks. And in the playoffs, he's been converting at about a 70% you know, completion percentage, which is very good. Uh, only f uh, four touchdowns to two picks so far. Um, in the playoffs, but you know, you look at the game like they played against Tennessee, and he, Burrow was under constant pressure. And, and then that Tennessee D line is not the Rams D line whatsoever. So that Joe Burrow's offensive linemen are going to have to protect him for a full 60-minute game, and it's not going to be easy with the way that Aaron, Aaron Donald and and Von Miller have been have the have had the ability to draw double and even triple teams uh from from opposing offenses so you know the focus is going to be on them but Joe Burrow obviously at the same time has got us remain poised in the pocket and and calm because this this Rams defense as as talented as it is they have allowed the big play before it's just going to come to a matter of down of uh it's going to be a matter of who can you know make that big play yeah it's going to come down to decision making like Burrow um you know even when he's under under constant duress there in, in the pocket uh, he makes good decisions. You know, he doesn't. You know, he typically doesn't force something that that isn't there. You know, if it's if it's just not there, he kind of either. You know, he might just take a few yard loss, or you know, just that little you know two yard gain or the check down, or, or or throw it away. And you know, you mentioned Stafford. That that's something that he struggled a little bit with at times this year. I mean, in in the last three games of the regular season, Stafford threw seven picks. Mm -hmm. Kind of you know redeemed himself in the playoffs. Absolutely redeeming himself. Six to six to one on touch on exactly. interception ratio so the last three games. It, it kind of comes and goes a little bit with him. Obviously, his talent has, has never been a question, but it's just if he can make those decisions and learn, like, hey, you know, if if the, if the if the if the play's not there, you just got to get rid of it, you know, or he's mm -hmm. got to he's he's got to get down, or he's got he's got to do something. He can't just chuck it up because I mean that that's kind of what what cost you know, that's kind of what cost the Chiefs the game in the AFC Championship. Yep. There, I mean, Mahomes, you know, his his, his decision making struggled there in the second half. 
uh, and and the Chiefs lost because of it. So I think wh whoever I mean I know it kind of sounds cliche, but whoever makes the most best decisions, like you know whoever or rather who doesn't make bad decisions, that's yeah, make make the fewer bad decisions, yeah, exactly. you're gonna come out with the win here. That's who's gonna win the game. Absolutely, and you know you. It's interesting to look at these quarterbacks because not only have you know Stafford, especially uh, over the past two games in the playoffs, in the, in the first game where they throttled the Cardinals, right? Only had 17 pass attempts, 13 you know 13 completions. Obviously, a 76% complete completion percentage, which is great. 202 and two touchdowns. He was throwing the deep ball like crazy, so he didn't have to do much um, as far as you know, really beating the Cardinals through the air. And over the past two games, obviously, obviously, it's been a lot more competitive. Um, you went. They went up big on the on the Buccaneers. Obviously, let up that lead. But you know, Stafford had to put a lot of points on the board, and he made the big play, the cup at the end. I mean, that that play sealed the deal, sealed Tom Brady's career, like you said. And you know, 38 attempts to f and 45 attempts over the past two weeks has shown that you know Stafford he can drop back, f you know, all 50 times a game and and be successful. I mean, three 366, 337, four to one touchdown interception over the past two weeks, and he's had a, a great passer rating as well. So Stafford obviously has been able to, to carry to carry more of that weight, but it's it's going to be interesting to see if each team's running game can alleviate the pressure from each quarterback, as you know. If you don't have to throw it 40 times a game, you know your running back can 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 dictate the tempo and and allow you to to open your passing game up more to become more efficient and and you know make make better decisions. It'll make your decision making process easier if this if the if each team's running game uh, can you know really get out and going. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think Cam Akers and and um and Joe Mixon have both done a really good job for for their respective teams there. I mean, the Bengals, you know, kind of similar to what we what we talked about yesterday. I mean. You know, the Bengals really kind of have the Bengals have that one rushing guy. You know, Joe Mixon's their guy. You know, on for the Rams they have Acres, they have a couple other guys there, um, Sony Michelle. But with the Bengals, they, you know, kind of what we were saying yesterday is they have those four or five, really just those four or five guys that kind of make plays. You know, off the throw. You know, the Rams they have they're, they're top heavy. You know, they they've got Cooper Cup, they got OBJ. But that's really kind of it. I mean, they have a couple other guys that can step up and have had big games before. But um, top to bottom, the Bengals have uh, a, a stronger receiving core, and it also comes down to uh, to Joe Mixon because he, he's really good. Uh, he's a really good receiving running back. Mm -hmm. He can. He's obviously one of the more underrated, you know, running backs in, in the game. I mean, obviously he's been he's been so huge for the Bengals this year. So uh, definitely agree if, if he can come up and, and make the big plays there, and you know, third and short, whether or first and ten or whatever, just to, to get them into good positions where they can uh, can can convert and, and not turn the ball over on downs or, or have to punt or and, or anything like that. I think uh, that's super important. So. Um, you know, it, it also just comes down to that balance. You can't over rely on your passing game. Can't over rely on your running game, or else you know you might look like you're being too conservative or too mm -hmm. aggressive, and mm -hmm. that can, you know lead to lead to turnovers or, or bad decisions or you know or whatever or, or no gain or, or you know. So it, it comes down to play calling too, but but definitely agree. You know, if if um if someone like Joe Mixon or, or Cam Akers can step up for their for their respective teams, it puts a lot of pressure off uh, Stafford and Bur Burrow would always have to go down and make the big plays. Each of these guys, Matt Stafford, Joe Burrow, and it's Tyler Smith and Nate Solomon here talking. The quarterback matchup in Super Bowl 56 live from the convention center in Los Angeles, Super Bowl 56 Radio Row. Uh, both these guys were number one picks in their respective drafts, uh, both very successful college careers. Joe Burrow, obviously the more recent Heisman and national champion. What would it mean for him to, you know, complete that trifecta of, you know, the, the biggest 
you know, award in college football, the, the national stage, their championship in college football, and then culminating it with a Super Bowl. And if I'm not mistaken, that'd be he'd be the first person to ever do that. He would be the first person to ever do that. First quarterback, especially, and uh, first it would be the first. I believe it's the first Heisman quarterback. I don't think no. And no, yeah, this is this is what the stat is. No Heisman quarterback has ever won an NFL championship. No player has ever won a Heisman national championship and a Super Bowl. That's crazy. I mean, that that would mean a lot too. I mean, especially again, he's only a second-year player. He he just won the national championship two years ago. Mm-hmm. Like. That'd be, that'd be it feels like yesterday, right? Exactly. I mean, like it, it was like, right before, right, right before the pandemic hit, and now it's been this one big blur. And now Joe Burrow went from playing in a national championship to what feels like last week to being in a Super Bowl today. So it's it's crazy the development has gone so fast. Yeah, that'd be a huge deal. I mean, um, you know, just what you said. I mean, some, one of the quickest developing quarterbacks in the league. I mean, you even look at, um, you know, the modern era. St- to the two modern era stars or whatever at the QB position, you know Patrick Mahomes and um, and Josh Allen, they really took a couple of years to kind of get to, to where they are and to get to that elite level. I mean Joe Burrow, it took you know he played what I think ten games or whatever in his um, in, in his rookie year, yep. and then he kind of just comes right out here in his in his second year and is like uh, a, you know top ten quarterback in the league. So I mean it'd mean a lot and it'd be pretty scary for <laughs> it'd be pretty scary for the rest of the league to see that. He'd be a champion already with with the Bengals having so many holes there in that team. So. Yeah, Bengals uh, definitely not perfect. Rams obviously the more talented roster, top to bottom. But it, it, at the end of the day, you know who's going to win the. If if you're deciding who's going to win a game, you take the better quarterback. Uh, if 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 all else fails. So honestly, if I had to look at this quarterback matchup and put it all on the table at the end, this seems like a wash to me. But I believe that Joe Burrow, with his ability to get back up, and we saw the Tennessee game, he sacked nine times, got back up every time, kept his eyes down the field. I think I'm giving the, the edge to Burrow here because I think Matt Stafford is a little bit too prone to making the, a bad decision in, in in a very inopportune time. I'm going to take Burrow here uh, to check off the, that box in the quarterback battle. What about you, Nate? I'll contradict you here. You know, I'll, I'll go with Stafford. You know, I'll go with the veteran experience. I mean, you know, obviously Joe Burrow, he kind of plays like a veteran, but yeah. You know, guys that have been in the league for as long as Stafford. I mean, they, they make veteran plays. They mm-hmm. make super smart plays. And yeah, you know, I know sometimes his his he makes bad throws, yep. but um, I guess that that veteran wit and that veteran knowledge will 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 be the, the deciding factor in, in the Super Bowl. So I'll I'll stick with Ma- uh, Matthew Stafford and I'll stick with the Rams, who were my preseason pick. Oh, there you have it. Uh, obviously, I'm uh, I'm on the Bengals side of things, and that's why I've t- I've taken Joe Burrow in this category. We're going to take a quick break, so when we come back, we'll be talking to Fordham WFUV play-by-play commentator for men's basketball, Nick DeLuca, and color commentator Ryan Gregware, so stay tuned for that. You're listening to Director's Cut with Nick, Nate Salomon and Tyler Smith, live from Radio Road, Super Bowl 56. All right, welcome back to the Director's Cut with Tyler Smith and Nate Salomon, live from Super Bowl 56, Radio Row in Los Angeles, California. Joining us now... Fordham WFUV Sports uh, play-by-play commentator Nick DeLuca and c- color commentator Ryan Gregware. Guys, thanks for joining us uh, on such short notice. Appreciate you guys having us. Good to be with you. Anytime. Now, we've, we just talked before we uh, started recording here, and you guys are on site. You're in Olean right now. Uh, what are your first impressions uh, of, of the city we call home? Well, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's certainly a college town and it was good. We had an opportunity to be in the Riley center last night and, and get a chance to check everything out. But 
you can tell that there's a, a huge passion for basketball around this campus and there's a buzz about what's going on, especially with the expectations for this team coming in. And it's it's a unique environment and it's it's certainly something that's been cool to witness over the last, you know, twenty four hours. Yeah, the the thing I'd say, and obviously you guys would know better than me, is it does look like it really centers around your team and that's really where a lot of the attention goes into. Yeah, absolutely, and you know that that's that's generally why the uh, the the mood of, of the area has kind of kind of been dwindling a little bit since the Bonnies have, have come across a uh, a rough patch in their season. The expectations, like you mentioned, were super high, and you know they, they've they've lost uh, a, a good amount of the, of their last few conference games. So it, it's been a disappointing run so far. But you know the the A10 tournaments where they really uh, kicked kicked into high gear last year. Maybe maybe they'll be able to recreate that same magic this year, but. Uh, Let's talk about your Rams first. You know what? What have you seen Kyle Neptune taking over? Uh, you know, taking over, taking over charge, and uh, ch- kind of changing the culture uh, for Fordham basketball. What, what have you seen from the new administration? There, to me, is an energy that is palpable surrounding this program, and for a team and university that's had a lot of wrong over the last twenty plus years. I mean, it's been a long time since you feel like there's been something to be excited about with Fordham basketball, I, I think there is something there right now. And Kyle Neptune has really impressed me, especially with some of the roster changes that this team has had to undergo. I mean, there's no secret losing Antonio day, their top scorer was a huge blow and trying to get everybody to come together in such a, a short period of time and figuring out how is this team going to fit together. And, and this team looks like one of the best foreign teams that you've seen in a while and it's really impressive you feel like there is no stone that has been left unturned you feel like everybody is being they're maxing out you're getting everything that you can out of all of the talent that they have on the roster and it's still a work in progress you know the offense probably isn't where anybody wants it to be right now it's it's struggled throughout conference play in particular and most of the season but they play hard they certainly don't give up and anytime over the last couple of years, you feel like they get down double digits. This game's over. This team has been able to fight and claw their way back in to make games competitive, even when they fall behind. For me, I look at the Davidson game just a few weeks ago. There's a team we know in the A-10, the class of the conference right now. Juba O.A.M. is the leading rebounder for this team. One of the best players was unavailable. Obviously, Nick just mentioned the loss of Antonio Day. He was out as well. A lot of ways that game could have got ugly, but they had a shot at the buzzer to tie things versus that Davidson team. So that culture, that energy that Nick's talking about, it really is apparent now. Do they have the personnel I think that they'd like? Do they have the efficient shooting? It's probably not there yet, but the direction is certain with this team. Yeah, guys, you know, I know I know the Rams have, have such a dynamic score in, in Darius Queensberry, but how how well do you think a, a team like Florida matches up against, against St. Bonaventure? Well, it's, it's interesting because of the struggles that Bonaventure has had defensively. It's striking. You know, a team that was third in the country in defense in scoring a year ago, now averaging, you know, allowing 10 more points a game. Some of that is variable. But based upon what I have seen, you feel like the opportunity for teams is to shoot on the perimeter. And that's something that Fordham has really struggled with. They are last in field goal percentage in the A-10 and last in three-point shooting in the A-10. But this team has shown at times, as everybody does throughout the course of the season, they can get hot. They do have guys who can go out and shoot threes and 
Darius Quisenberry is a guy who can explode for 30 plus at any given moment. I mean, he's that talented, a guy that Kyle Neptune has described the, the words offensive juggernaut. That's what he used to describe Quisenberry. And he is really as explosive a scorer as Fordham has seen in the last couple of years has really impressed me in his first foray into Fordham. And in particular in the absence of Antonio day has been so impressive because he's been the guy doing the legwork. So if Fordham were to be able to come in here and hit their shots and take advantage of some of those defensive lapses, you feel like they would have a chance with the way that they play defense that generally gives them an opportunity However, for some of the games this year where that has, has been an advantage for them, at times they haven't made it an advantage. So it'll be interesting to see how they come out and play tonight. But I think, it, as you guys rightly point out, starts and ends with Darius Quisenberry. He's a guy who's going to have to have an absolutely huge night. He scored 36 in that Davidson game that Ryan was mentioning. That's what allowed them to stay in it. And they're going to need that type of performance again tonight. Yeah, I think you 100% look at the three-point line. Fordham's had games this year. They're very good at generating open looks, but the players they have just haven't really been able to connect. Just three for 21, lost him out versus St. Jones. I think the Bonnies allow nine and a half threes a game. That's in the bottom tier of the conference. So they're going to get looks, and, you know, you talk about living and dying by the three, but this is a game where you know the Bonnies are going to score. Fordham, they're going to play defense, but they're going to have to find ways on the offense, on the perimeter to kind of match that. So I think it's a very interesting matchup on paper. You know, the Bonnies for sure have the talent advantage, but Fordham has had the ability to make teams uncomfortable. I expect them to do so at least on the defensive end. That's kind of what we were talking about yesterday when we were previewing the game on our, our show. We were talking about that this would be probably a defensive grinded out win for either club. So I want to get an outside uh, outsider's perspective looking in because we've been, you know, as, as critical as you could be about the Bonnies' misfortunes this season. So, uh, as, as, you know, fellow A-10 members, you know, looking in at, the, at this team who is, you know, projected a single-digit seed, a runaway favorite in the conference, what's been the, the glaring holes that you've seen throughout the season that, that's, you know, resulted in the Bonnies being such a disappointment since, you know, the Charleston Classic, I, I assume? To me, it's the expectations. We actually had a chance to bump into Kyle Lofton for a minute yesterday and just chatted with him a little bit and, he, he mentioned that, you know, we feel like we're a little bit inconsistent and, and know that we've got the right path to turn this thing around. It's just been some of the expectations. Sometimes that changes things. It's a little bit different. And, and I, I think that really encapsulates it more than anything else. Sometimes it, it, there's variability year to year, you know, and, and there are huge expectations. And this is a team that, as you guys know, does not go heavy into the bench. That puts a lot of stress on the starters. That makes it tough to defend. And when you're relying on allowing 59 points a game a season ago, it's tough to replicate that. And sometimes that's just teams make shots. You know, I, it was really interesting when I was preparing for the, the St. Joe's game. Their, their head coach had a great quote in talking about defense. You know, people say that you can really control that end of the floor. And people really want to say, you know, you can just control defense, whatever it is. You don't need talent to defend. Well, yeah, you do. Teams are, are going to make shots. You need to be long. You need to have that ability, the closeout ability, whatever it is, whatever you want to focus on. And I think that's the case for them. The, the defensive drop-off has been striking to me. And sometimes that's not something you necessarily control. Sometimes, you know, you're playing a team like Fordham. How does Fordham come out and shoot tonight? They're going to have the opportunities. 
Is St. Bonaventure going to hold Fordham to 50 points tonight? And they defended the same way when they gave up 80 against Richmond. You know, it's, it's sometimes out of the control and that's, that's a tough part of the business, but I, I would say that's been most striking to me. And, and it's coming back to the expectations, you know, sometimes you, you can't meet that, but at the same time, you feel like they are as well positioned as anybody to make a run in the A-10 tournament. That experience talks, they're as talented as anybody. And you know that the moment won't be too big for them come March. But I think the thing with the expectations are we saw it on display this year. You talked about the Charleston Classic. They got up to number 16 in the country. So they clearly have what it takes this season. I just think it's a fascinating case study, right, with how, you know, Mark Schmidt goes with those starters. How much in a season can you do that? Does Do you fatigue throughout the year? I know it worked last year, but you also look at last year. You had a ton of cancellations. The out-of-conference was pretty much not a factor for St. Bonaventure when you factored that in this year. How many miles, you know, are you willing to run these guys into the ground? I think this year with the defense, with the drop-off, you've seen that level of fatigue. And, you know, I don't know if it's stubbornness. I don't know what it is, but the ability to just keep going to the starters, not tapping into some of those power five, you know, transfers you got in the transfer portal. It's a fascinating team to be on display. And now they certainly have the talent to make a run in March, but the way they're playing right now, it just, it's really, you know, accumulated why they've been a disappointment. Now, you know, you guys talked a lot about, about the defensive end for both teams, but when, when you look at St. Bonaventure's offense, they obviously have five, five guys who have been around for, for a long time, and, and any one of those guys can kind of break out and have a big night. But uh, lately, it's really been Jalen Attaway um, with, with the burden of the load for the Bonnies. I mean, how, how, do, how does Fordham stop him and make someone like Dominic Welch or Oshun Oshuni have to uh, get involved and, and score a lot? It's really interesting because you look at all of the, you know, you're getting ready for the game and I'm going through and this guy's the, you know, Oshuni is the defensive player of the year, a thousand point scorer, first team preseason all A-10 and it's preseason accolades, preseason accolades. And then, oh wait, Jalen Attaway has been the guy who's been most consistent and, and you feel like there wasn't as much hype. I mean, of course, he's a thousand point scorer for his career, but that was not the guy that St. Bonaventure thought was really going to carry them coming into this year. But the, the thing that I will give credit to Fordham on, and I, I think this is one of the aspects where the quality coaching has shown through this year, they have done an excellent job on weapon number one that they've played. I, I don't want to compare Kyle Neptune to Bill Belichick here, but it's been that same type of focus on we're trying to make sure we eliminate what you do best, whether that be Hunjun Lee, in Davidson, whether that be Burton when they played Richmond. I mean, they did a really good job throughout conference play this year in making sure that they tapered down the top weapons for, for other teams. And sometimes that's worked better than other times, but I've been really impressed with the way that they've been able to execute on that end of the floor with what has apparently been their focus heading into the game. Yeah, what Nick said is 100% what's really impressive about this team. Tyler Burton, who you guys just saw, he had 36 versus St. Bonaventure last time out. He had just seven versus Fordham. Hunjin Lee, you know, projected NBA prospect. He had just five versus Fordham. They will let the secondary guys beat them. You know, they'll put a double. They'll trap. It will come down to your least efficient shooter getting open threes. That is what Fordham will do. They will sell out. So I think that's what it comes down to with St. Bonaventure. Can you get that secondary scoring? Because, you know, maybe they won't take – away out of way, but they certainly will limit him in some capacity and it will come down to other pieces. Now, you know, Bonaventure 
aside from Oshuni, isn't the the tallest or biggest team uh, as far as their, their rotation goes. Um, but, you know, what guys like Welch and, and Attaway play much bigger than they are. How do you think Fordham matches up against a team who's relatively playing small ball most of the game? Well, that's going to be, to me, the key factor in all of this because that's a place where Fordham has been vulnerable defensively. And St. Bonaventure this year is up over 100 in, in points scored in the paint plus this season. They've been really good in that area, and that, to me, is where the game is going to come down to because, as we just mentioned, Fordham's going to come into this game looking at, okay, th this is a team that plays really well in the backcourt. I mean, we know how they're how explosive they are. Let's try and run them off the three-point line and, and get them into some secondary scoring. And that's not to say Oshuni is not a guy who can burn you. He has certainly shown that throughout this year. But at some point, you got to pick how you want to play the other team defensively. So that's what I would expect from Fordham tonight to really try and run St. Bonaventure off the three-point line, force them inside, and see if they can defend. They have been good in spurts. Chuba Ohams is working back from injury. He's as good of a defender as there is in the entire Atlantic 10, but at times has had a propensity to be in foul trouble. It's not a guy right now because of a knee injury who's going to play all 40 minutes tonight, so it's going to be back and forth. And then once you get behind Chuba Ohams, it has been up and down. Abdus Simbilla is, is a big man transfer from Penn State who has come on pretty strong for them defensively as a guy who's a weapon and, and can really alter shots at the rim. But, you know, with foul trouble and, and certain other things, it can become problematic for Fordham defending in the paint. So we'll see. That, to me, is, is the key matchup to watch. And, and you know, that, that's where Fordham's going to, I think, try and make St. Bonaventure beat them. And that's where you kind of do beat them. St. Bonaventure 0-5 this season, one getting out-rebounded. And Chubo Williams, the guy Nick brought up, coming back from injury, gets into foul trouble sometimes. Keeping him in the game is going to be critical for Fordham because they don't have a big that can score in the paint outside of him, as kind of he alluded to. So they're going to have to win in the paint. I think the small ball kind of helps them. You look at some of their losses, and especially when Chubo Williams was out, teams just look to kind of attack those backup bigs in the paint. And that's how you kind of got to them, even when you were taking away a Tyler Burton or one of those kind of areas. So I think the paint is where Fordham will shift a lot of their focus. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, so at, at this point, you know, for, for, for the game, what do you think is the biggest X factor for Fordham to be able to, to go into the Riley Center and, and come away with a victory? Well, it's got to be shot making for me, shot making in the perimeter defense. We touched on that a little bit because you know that they're going to try and force things inside. So to make them do that, of course, you've got to run St. Bonaventure off the three-point line. And I think Fordham is well-equipped to do that. I mean, Josh Colon-Navarro, Kyle Rose, some of their perimeter defenders are as good as you will find in the Atlantic 10, guys who play hard, who are disciplined, who, who do the right things on the defensive end of the floor. And as Ryan alluded to earlier, you feel like St. Bonaventure is going to give them the opportunities to hit threes. And now it's about Fordham, who is last in the A-10 coming in, perhaps bucking the trend and finding a way to make their shots. And Kyle Rose, as, as a guy I just mentioned defensively, has come on a little bit stronger on the offensive end of the floor, has been in double figures in five of seven games. Josh Colon-Navarro is a guy who was a, a bench piece. And then when Antonio Day left the fold, was a more prominent player in the rotation and has started for them a majority of those games. And he's averaged over 10 points a game in his last four. So those two guys to me are going to be X factors. And then 
Fordham seeing if they can get some of those rotational pieces to continue, whether it be, you know, Pat Kelly, whether it be Rastic Nowitzki, guys who have just been, you know, up and down at times, seeing if they can get big time nights from them. And, and Antrell Charlton as well, a guy who has started and, and has struggled in A-10 play, has not been very efficient, has moved the basketball very well, but hasn't really scored. Could they perhaps get an open three or two from him tonight to go down? That's what it's going to take when you're on the road in an underdog. I look at this one, Darius Quisenberry, who we've kind of talked about, he's going to get his buckets. It doesn't matter if he's doubled, whatever it is. Double digits in all but one game this year. So I look at, obviously, some of the guys Nick just alluded to, the secondary pieces. They will get the open three-point looks. Kyle Rose, Josh Glenavar, both top 25 in this conference in three-point percentage. It's can they be efficient? Can they get another guy? Whether that is Antrell Charlton or Pat Kelly to kind of catch fire from beyond the arc, because I really do think the scoring is where Fordham is going to have the work cut out for them. They're going to need find to ways to match this scoring. And it's going to be the secondary guys because Darius Quisenberry is not going to be able to do the whole thing on himself. So the secondary piece for Fordham is where I look to kind of make or break this one. Tyler Smith, Nate Solomon, joined by Nick DeLuca and Brian Gregware, uh, WFUV men's basketball commentators. Guys, uh, St. Bonaventure lost a key assistant coach last year in Trey Woodle to your Fordham Rams. Uh, I'm not sure how, how, how closely you guys are, are connected with, with his impact on the team, but have you seen any impacts that he's had? You know, the, the players talked about how impactful he was uh, for that roster last year. What have you seen from, from Woodle uh, in his short time there in the Bronx? So we are afforded a fantastic opportunity following all of our radio broadcasts. We'll have an assistant coach come over and discuss the game. And most of the time, that's associate head coach Keith Ergo, who will chat with us. Ronald Ramon comes over a couple of times, but Trey has been a part of that operation as well. And he has been one of the best interviews that we have had. I mean, he's been outstanding. His answers have been great. And really you can tell that he is somebody who's on a fast track to be a a top level assistant to, to potentially head coach in the future, just with his overall understanding of the entire operation. I mean, it's really impressive from that. And, And you talk to players and you talk to, some of the support staff, managers, et cetera, they really rave about Trey Woodall and what he brings to the table. And really this entire coaching staff, I mean, this is a place where you feel like Fordham has gotten it right in, in that aspect of it, where, you know, coach Neptune has been able to surround himself with guys who have experience, who understand college basketball, who are really good teachers and developers of, of players and talent. And that, to me, has been one of the more impressive aspects of it. Just the coaching staff, you, you don't feel like Fordham is ever a step behind in, in that aspect. They're not going out there, and some team makes an adjustment, and Fordham just doesn't have an answer for the rest of the game. That has impressed me, and I think Trey Woodall is, is as responsible for that as anybody else on the coaching staff. Yeah, I remember talking to our athletic director before the year, and Trey Woodall was kind of the guy he raved about. I believe he was the A-10 assistant of the year last year. To be able to poach him, I know he's a Jersey guy. I think that local connection, Coach Neptune, some connection there, really got him here. And what Nick said about the coaching staff, 100% true. You never feel like in any game they have the disadvantage in that aspect. Maybe not the advantage, but they are well coached for every single game. The game plan is typically you know, pretty flawless. It's all about – the execution, as we know in basketball, but Trey Woodall, the entire staff that Nick just mentioned, they've done a fantastic job, especially those assistants that, you know, maybe Coach Neptune's getting a lot of the shine, but a lot of the dirty work, a lot of the work put in that maybe doesn't get put to fruition and put in the spotlight is 
with those assistant coaches, especially Trey Woodall. Well, you guys got a, a, a real good one there, and, and you guys seem to be building a, uh, a new culture in Fordham, like I mentioned before, with, with Kyle Neptune and, and the rest of his staff. So uh, with that said, uh, I'd like to wish you guys good luck tonight uh, in your call and, and you know, with, with, the, with the Rams. Um, it's been great having you. And, uh, Nick, we hope to uh, see you out in L.A. in just a few days. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, the final 20 or so minutes uh, of the Director's Cut with Tyler Smith and Nathan Solomon. You're listening to WSBU 88.3 The Buzz, live from the Los Angeles Co Convention Center for Super Bowl Radio Row. On behalf of WSBU 88.3 The Buzz, we are proud to announce that we will be attending Super Bowl 56 Media Week in Los Angeles, California. Join us for live programming from the LA Convention Center from February 7th to 11th at 6 p.m. daily as we preview the big game. This is Patrick Mahomes, Kansas City quarterback, and you're listening to The Buzz. 88.3, welcome back to the Director's Cut. Tyler Smith, Nathan Salomon joining you from live from Radio Row at the LA Convention Center in California. Nate, we just had a nice, real, real nice talk with the uh, WFUV guys. I know Nick DeLuca, he'll be coming out here to LA in just a few short days. And, you know, the Bonnies, they have, they have a really important game tonight. Uh, Got to get back on track against Fordham uh, in the Riley Center. But... We'll be shifting gears to the rest of college hoops today. Uh, we'll recap yesterday's slate. Two massive games coming down to the wire uh, for teams in the top 25. Duke losing again at home in Cameron Indoor to a struggling uh, Virginia team. Tony Bennett always competitive against the Mike Krzyzewski and the Blue Devils. Nate, that was quite the showing, uh, especially down the stretch defensively from Virginia. Um, you know, they, they really have hit a wall this year as far as uh, relative to the, the production that they've had over the past few. I mean, obviously winning a national championship uh, and having so many, you know, number one seeds and, and, and successful seasons, ACC championships. But this year, it's really been a struggle uh, for the Cavaliers. How do you think they pulled out the win last night, and what does it mean for, for Duke going forward, especially after a convincing win over UNC just, you know, Saturday? Yeah, I mean, that's a huge win there for uh, for Virginia. Obviously, you know, Tony Bennett is such a good defensive coach. Um, offense ha has really struggled this year. I mean, they, they really struggled to put up more than 70 points in just about any month. Uh, and, and really, 69 points, you know, that's what they scored against Duke yesterday. That's about as, as many points as you'll see them score this year. Um, fortunately for them, they kept, they kept Duke to 68, and they were able to uh, go into a very hostile environment and pull out a big victory. So, um, impressive victory there. I mean, um, you know, Bennett is, is you know he's one of the one of the best coaches in college basketball for a reason. Um, you know, his, his teams are always going to be competitive. I know that they obviously took a big step back this year, but uh, you know, it just shows they can beat anybody. You know, they've won they've won four to five now. Wins over Louisville, Boston College, Miami, and, and now Duke. So, 
um, impressive showing there to uh, to to go into uh, Cameron Indoor Stadium and, and come away with a victory. And it just kind of shows that um, anything can happen in college basketball. And it's also uh, kind of just proves, I guess, how how weak the the ACC is this year. We might only see two or three teams at the most uh, in the NCAA tournament come March. Yeah, can't see the ACC being being one of the leading Power Five uh, you know conferences heading into NCAA tournament play. The Duke Wings yesterday really were uh, particularly were the ones who were struggling. Uh, obviously, Wendell Moore, A.J. Griffin, Paolo Bencaro specifically, uh, only combining for, I mean, 20 points between the three of them. Not not the most successful showing. You're not going to win games when Duke's Wings are, are underperforming offensively. I mean, Moore went 3 of 8, Griffin 1 of 7, who's really come along as a three-point threat and somebody who can stretch the floor for Duke and really uh, open, open up lanes for guys like Paolo Bencaro and Wendell Moore to take it to the cup, even Trevor Keels as well. Um... You know, Paolo Bencaro, I do want to mention it real quick because you, you look at his last few games and three of the past four, he's, he's scored only 13 points uh, or, or less. Obviously, last night was only a nine-point effort. But, you know, has he kind of, as, as the college season has progressed, you know, kind of come, back, come down to earth a little bit? You know, we saw early on in the, re in, in the regular season, after the, of course, against, you know, Kansas in the opener. Um, excuse me, can... Um, Kentucky in the opener, uh, he was looking like a presumptive number one pick. You know, this guy basically looking like Kevin Durant in college. Now we've seen that's kind of that that title has kind of shifted towards uh, Jabari Smith of Auburn. Uh, Paolo Bencaro kind of taking a, a back seat in all of the um, the bright lights and press that, that the top prospects uh, in this year's upcoming NBA draft are getting. Has he kind of hit a wall? And what's it going to take for him to get back on track as, you know, conference play is, you know, coming to its home stretch? Yeah, I mean, maybe a little bit of a wall there. Um, usually some of the top players, once you get to conference play, uh, those are the defenses that are going to slow down your, your best players the most. So um, not a huge surprise there. Obviously, you know, he's a young freshman. You know, that he's going to have his struggles there. I mean, you know, only three of nine from the field yesterday. Um, you know, has shot below 50% from the field his last four games, 35% against UNC, 33% uh, on January 29th against Louisville. So maybe a little bit, um, you know, Duke, you know, they're, they're a national championship contending team for a reason. You know, they have, they have so many different threats, and I feel like that, you know, once you see more shots um, go into the basket against, uh, you know, in, in their next game here uh, over the weekend against against Clemson, then I, I feel like that, you know, he, he could be able to build off of it and uh, and kind of get that momentum, at least uh, for him, headed back into the right direction. I'm not overly worried about him. I think he's a, um, he's, he's going to be a high-level NBA player. I mean, if, is, his dro his, is his draft stock dropping maybe a little bit right now? Can't see him going past, like, the, the three spot. Yeah, really. it, a it's, little it's, bit. It's a, it's a discussion of whether or not he's going to be the number one pick or, or over a guy like Jabari Smith exactly. or Chet, Chet I mean, Holmgren. The last couple weeks maybe hurt his number one pick odds, but I think he's still going to be a top five pick most likely. So, oh, 100%. I mean, unless he tanks these last, like, eight or nine games yeah. of, uh, of conference play. But I'm not overly worried about him yet. I think He'll, he'll get back on track. Um, some favorable games for them ahead. Clemson, Boston College. And then a really, really good Wake Forest team. So uh, uh, two, two great opportunities there for Bancaro to, uh, to get back on track. Clemson, Boston College. Uh, we'll see what he can do. I, I think he can do it. He's an NBA-level talent. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, if, his if his stock drops, it, it might only be down to... Uh, to, to five at the, uh, at the uh, lowest. At, at the at lowest. The lo but easily. Um, we'll see what happens. I think he can do it, though. Yeah, no, Ben Carroll's an absurdly high-level talent. Uh, you don't see longer stretches than what we've seen over the past three or four games. I mean, he did have a 21-point outing in, in the middle there. But, 
you're not going to see a prolonged stretch of poor play from Paolo Bencaro. And, and it, it, I said, you know, maybe he wasn't scoring the most, but he's still super active on the glass, and he, he's active on the defensive end. So it, that's all you can ask for when the buckets aren't going down. Uh, again, like I said, he, he's a top two talent in this draft class, and uh, I don't see his draft stock falling at all. It, it was it was just a small blip in in, in a, a, a typical freshman season for a high level player like that. Moving ahead, though, massive slate tonight. You know, it was a small little Monday treat uh, on the college basketball front last night, but tonight, obviously, Tuesday is one of the big days of the week for college hoops. Got a massive slate. Let's uh, let's let's talk about two games uh, on tonight's tap that. We're really looking at as as some uh, some key games in in some crucial conference play. So, Nate, why don't you kick us off with uh, with the game that you're looking at tonight? Game that I'm looking at. Well, there's a lot of them, but uh, the game I guess I'll pick Marquette, n- number 18 Marquette at number 24. Stole my pick. <laughs> but go ahead. Um, yeah. So that's that that game 6:30 Eastern on FS1. Um, uh, two two opponents that same Bonaventure played this year. Um, two, yeah, yeah, two that's right. That we, we know very well. Um, you know, Bonnie's of course beat Marquette, but um, kind of interesting there. Marquette's one of the hottest teams right now in college college basketball. Nobody expected them to be this good against the UConn team. That's kind of you know stayed around that number twenty twenty four spot r- really all year. Kind of fell out for a couple weeks. We maybe go up to like nineteen. So they're they're a good team. You know, they're a really quality team. Um, they've obviously had a few injury issues, some COVID issues. Um, and, and they definitely have Final Four talent, in my opinion. Marquette, you know, they're young. They're kind of underdeveloped. I think they're going to be a, a scary team here in the next couple of years. Um, but uh, two of the top teams right now in the Big East, I think that's going to be a really fun game to watch. And the Big East has just been so good this year, so uh, I'm sure that game will not disappoint. Yep, WSBU here. We are an East Coast station. I guess you could call it East Coast since we're Western New York. I mean, it's not too far off, especially uh, definitely closer than where we are right now. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're all big big East guys here at the Buzz. Um Nate, love love this matchup. I think it's two really talented rosters at two different points, uh, kind of in their development. Uh, UConn really ready to win now. One of the highest level rosters in the Big East, and you know Marquette under new tutelage, Shaka Smart taking over this season. They they have a lot of young guns, some transfers such as Tyler Kolick. We've we've seen him uh, not only in the Charleston Classic this season, but last year uh, against George Mason, he was a a really really big talent that they had the opportunity to move up in the ranks of college basketball this season. Obviously, Kirk Quath has really taken a big leap uh, for the Golden Eagles as well down low. Uh, Really lanky. He can stretch out and shoot the three. Um, And then the bigs, obviously, for UConn, uh, they cannot be understated. Adama Sinogo and uh, Akukakuk, excuse me, uh, down there. They are real forces. They can block shots. They they can really space out your offense and make you want to shoot from the outside. And Hopefully Marquette can, can knock them down tonight because that that's what's going to have to be the case uh, if, if they want to pull out a win in stores. Uh, game going to be actually at the XL Center, one, uh, you know, U- UConn's other uh, arena in Hartford. But this is going to be a, a real grind of that matchup. I can see this, a lot of points being scored here. I mean, over-under is only set at 139.5. But uh, these are two offensively gifted teams, and I'm excited to see how this one plays out. Um, my game, uh, uh, honestly, on the slate tonight is you know, starting just after this Marquette-UConn uh, game. It's going to be Auburn and Arkansas. Now, Arkansas started off ranked. They moved all the way up to, to about the 11th best team in the nation on the AP poll. Eric Musselman taking over, one of my favorite coaches uh, in the country right now. And they've really 
stumbled. Uh, kind of not not exactly to uh, the level that our our St. Bonaventure Bonnies have, but uh, the expectations for Arkansas this year were pretty high. Uh, guys like J.D. Note, you know, were, were supposed to be looked at as a, as a first team All SEC guy. And now they've, they've, they've kind of faltered a little bit, and they're, now they're facing Auburn in Fayetteville, though. Let that be known. This game being in Arkansas, that place is going to be rocking. They have a very, very strong contingency of fans down uh, for the Razorbacks. But you just look, you just look at this team. I mean, Audis Tony and you know Stanley Yamud, he is, these guys are the complementary scorers to J.D. Note that are going to need to really step it up for Arkansas tonight. I mean, they don't have too many scoring threats. The, the, the good thing for them is that they have six guys who can average a, a nine or more points a game. So the scoring will be spread out, but it's going to all fall on J.D. Note when it comes down to it. Jabari Smith, obviously, on the other end is going to be you know that guy who, who's going to be taking over for Auburn. Nate, what do you think about this matchup? Yeah, I think it's a scary game for the Auburn Tigers. Obviously, they're 22-1 right now. They had a scare against a not very good Georgia team over the weekend. Mm -hmm. um, so part of me thinks that they could bounce back, but also at the same time, or with, with a big victory, but at the same time, I feel like uh, now could be the time for Auburn to finally fall in conference play. I mean, Arkansas... A uh, very talented team. They still only have five losses this year, like you said, uh, in Fayetteville. I think that's a pretty favorable matchup for Arkansas. Um, Auburn's only minus one and a half right now on uh, per Vegas. So uh, I, I think that I think Arkansas can give them a really good run for their money if if not beat them, and that'd be a, a really big win for the Razorbacks to uh, to potentially get them back into the back into the conversation of being ranked in the AP Top 25 poll. And teams the teams on the bubble right now. They're going to need to get this win tonight. Uh, Nate, before we get out of here, I want to get your best bet of the night. It doesn't have to be on the Marquette UConn or even the Auburn Arkansas game, but is there a, a, a side a spread out there tonight that you're you're saying, man, this team's going to cover the number tonight? Ooh, you know, I might stick with this Auburn Arkansas game. I actually might give it uh, Arkansas plus one and a half. Wow, I love that it pick. Might be uh, at, at it's time. I think Auburn's ten and zero in a really good SEC conference. They're due to lose. They've had a couple really close calls against inferior opponents. Uh, I, I think today's the day that uh, that that Auburn finally gets knocked back off. Uh, I, I I I I like that pick a lot. Uh, excuse me, but uh, I'm gonna stray away from that so we don't have the same pick over here. I'm actually gonna head. To another game in the Big East, um, Villanova St. John's. This is going to be a tough one to pick. St. John's, a team that desperately needs a massive win like this, plus four and a half at home. Uh, I believe the game is in the Garden, uh, so it, it, that's going to be a really, really highly anticipated matchup. Jay Wright, very good in the Garden. That's why I'm going to be taking the Villanova Wildcats tonight, minus four and a half. I know it's on the road, but in an environment like the Garden, that's that's a place where Jay Wright and his coaching prowess is going to shine. I'm going to have to take the Wildcats tonight, minus four and a half. That'll do it for today's Director's Cut. Nathan Solomon, Tyler Smith, live from Super Bowl Radio Row at the Convention Center in Los Angeles. We'll be back tomorrow at our regularly scheduled time for this week, 6 Eastern. You're sticking with us at WSBU 88.3, The Buzz. See you later.
Living like I'm Rob Liberace It's all good, from Diego to the Bay Your city is the bomb if your city making pain Throw up a finger if you feel the same way Straight putting it down for California, yeah